Today, Girls on Film is saving all the love for Whitney Houston as we welcome Naomi Aki to talk about playing the iconic singer. Here she is on the film Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. It's lovely and it kind of reminded me of actually how much impact she really had because I sometimes think, especially when it comes to music, the thing that we listen to every single day, that we can take it for granted sometimes, the effort and the sacrifice that goes into making these pieces of music that really are part of our memories. We're also joined by Vanya Kuljeshesh, the director of the International Film Festival Rotterdam, in today's Girls on Film. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and today we're celebrating the new biopic, Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, with the film's star, the British actress, Naomi Aki. Directed by Casey Lemons, with the involvement of Whitney's producer, Clive Davis, who's played by Stanley Tucci, the film follows Houston's complex journey from New Jersey choir girl to best-selling artist. As a girl who grew up listening to Whitney, I loved seeing the stories behind the songs. And I also thought it was interesting from an LGBTQ perspective, because it goes into details about Whitney's intimate relationship with her close female friend, Robin Crawford, as I told Naomi when we met. My voice is gone. What? You start the show tonight. No talking back. I'm your mother. What's your name again? Whitney Elizabeth Houston. Welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you. So lovely to have you on the podcast. Big oh, fan of your work. Thank and you. just enjoyed this film so much. Oh, I'm Congratulations. Glad. I'm glad. Thank your you. Your performance is extraordinary. It uh, really is. <laughs> Um, talk to me a bit about the preparation, because I'm not often envious of actors preparing for roles, but I feel no, like this must have been quite this fun. Is, yeah, no, it was actually like, I was extremely grateful. I think it's common knowledge that like sometimes as an actor, you don't get a lot of time to prepare. Luckily, I got this part during lockdown. So I had about eight months before we actually started filming. And by the time I'd finished my last job, and really that time was just used just solely on Whitney. It was, you know, dialect coach and movement coach and personal trainer and like all of these amazing people who really came together and helped support me in creating this character and I really can't say it was just a me thing <laughs> you know what I mean this was a very much a team effort but yeah it was it was just a day by day slowly chipping away you know a lot of research a lot of research before I even started before I even tried to attempt to tackle who Whitney was as a person just collecting a lot of data you know were you a fan beforehand yeah. <laughs> I mean who isn't right I mean that's like yeah and I mean it's quite it's so funny because I, I can't remember the first time I listened to her music and I think that's probably a common thing I mean I, I was born in 91 so that's around the time Bodyguard came out she was already at the height of her fame so I genuinely just cannot remember 
But I, all I can say is that learning the lines for the for the songs was the easiest part of the job. I mean, my goodness, I was just, I was like, yep, done. I didn't even have to look at the lines. And it's kind of crazy when you think about how much like subconsciously somebody becomes a part of your life and how much you build a parasocial relationship with someone so like naturally, you know. And I will always love you. Yeah, I didn't realize how word perfect I was on all the yeah. songs. Like, you just, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and or, like how many looks and like, you know, remembering where you were when this one happened or, you know, all of that kind of stuff, which is really, it's lovely. And it kind of reminded me of actually how much impact she really had. Because I sometimes think, especially when it comes to music, the thing that we listen to every single day, that we can take it for granted sometimes, the effort and the sacrifice that goes into making these pieces of music that really are part of our memories. Did anything surprise you to learn about her? Because watching the film, yeah. I think there are a few things that surprised me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think a big part, of the biggest surprise was around her relationship with her dad and the kind of the financial stuff that was going on later on in her life. I really just had no idea. And so it kind of suddenly puts some of those tools into a lot of context. And then you kind of look back and you're like, oh my gosh, and they were so cruel to her in the media. And she was going through this in the back. And I think it's very easy for us to look at people in this black and white, good, bad, good decision, bad decision. So things like that, finding out the context of a lot of, you know, her relationships and her dynamics was really important to me, but also a big surprise because I had never really investigated it. And it was a thing on me as well of like, wait, like, I appreciate the music, I consume the music, I consume the movies, and I've just gone, yeah, Winnie Houston, that's part of my life and I love her. And I did, but like, Part of loving someone is having empathy for them and learning about them and, you know. So that was, that was, there's many things like that. I really like the way that it went into some detail about her relationship with Robin. That's yeah, really that too, yeah. Uh, did that appeal to you when you read the script? Like 100%, really important because I, I don't think I would have done it, to be honest with you, had that not have been included. Only because it's such a huge part of her story. That's like a formative love, you know, that is a deep love. And it's so beautiful. And it feels like if that it was erased or, or not spoken on, then we're not telling the truth. Um, and look, that, that, that relationship really did change over time. And there's not even a word for the love that they had for each other. There's not even a word for their relationship. And they chose not to do that. They didn't have a word for it. So I don't have a word for it because it's not my place. But seeing that dynamic is, is, was a beautiful thing. And I'm really happy that that took a main stage in, in this film. And it feels important to have pointed out that the pressures that were on her to kind of play straight or to, yeah. go, to d publicly yeah. date men and such yeah. like. Do you feel like that wouldn't happen now? Oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I <laughs> it's that thing, isn't it? I'm from London. I think it's very, like, I think I have a very London perspective on the world, metropolitan perspective. So I, in an ideal world, I'd be like, no, it's not a problem, but there are difficulties and that even within the entertainment industry about who can be sexualized and who can't be sexualized and who is allowed to be queer and who is not and all of those rules that we're still dissecting and pulling apart and 
so I, I don't think I can have like a, a full answer on it. All I know is that, you know, I just believe everyone should be themselves because it's like the best way to be. Yeah, totally. I know what you mean. I feel like I live in a liberal bubble sometimes. Yes, <laughs> the liberal bubble. So I'm like, everything's okay, yeah, right? And then you're like, good. suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, no, this is like really bad. When did this happen? Exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah. Talk to me about working with the director because it feels very important to have had a woman at the helm of this, yeah, right? Hugely, yeah, hugely, hugely. I don't think it could be done any other way. It was just the right formula of people. She was so informative. She, she's been in film and has done some amazing pieces of work in her time. She knew Whitney, like she she had actually written two scripts for Whitney while she was coming up as a oh, writer director. Know that. Yeah, Interesting. so she had and she had met the dad John Houston too. So she had an insight as well into some of the dynamics that were going on. And there was a curiosity there, and there was an investigation that she wanted to have within the piece. And we just worked so well together. I think like she knew when to give me space to kind of imagine something up and that definitely happened at times but there was also times where she really needed to push me too because you know I'm, I'm not necessarily say if there was a cold water I'd definitely be the one to dip, like dip my big toe in first I'm not a jump all the way in right, right. so I, I have to warm up I'm, I'm never kind of a go all in kind of girl and so there were moments where she was like you're just gonna have to jump into the cold water like in, in terms of like singing um, in front of people and you know taking a few more risks so she was really helpful in that aspect too. Uh, common criticism of you, your music isn't black enough. Well, who said that? That's just bull. And it makes me angry, actually. It's hateful and uninformed. My whole life, she ain't black enough, she ain't white enough. Well, how about she's not obedient enough? How about she ain't fearful enough? Music is not a color to me. It has no boundaries. I sing what I want to sing, be how I want to be, and reach as big an audience as I can. Can you talk to me a bit more about the singing? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't sing. I just like giving fair warning. Like I really don't sing uh, a lot at all. I kiss Whitney all the way. There were parts when Whitney is younger, and there are parts, you know, some dramatic beats where I was singing. I think it was important for us to have that space to do that. That there's an acknowledgement that no, I'm not Whitney, but and therefore my voice needs to be used at some points. And I think it's done in a really lovely way in the second song of the film um, where we kind of we finally hear Whitney's voice and there's kind of an understanding with the audience of okay we're in Whitney time now but yeah that was that was important and that was the scariest part for me because I didn't know that was going to be the case when I first read the oh really you script. thought you were going to do all the singing I thought she was going to do all the singing oh, okay. I was like yeah. oh as long as Whitney does all of the yeah. singing um great because I, I you know and so that was a bit of a, a healthy curveball I needed that and actually, as as the filming went on, like I, I got less and less scared. You know, I started that singing and, and crying on set because I I would just get so oh, wow. nervous, especially within the context of Whitney. <laughs> so I get really nervous, you know. But by the end, I was like, okay, this is what it is, and I trust that it's gonna all come together. And I, you know, I look back now, and I'm like, actually, it really does work and there is enough storytelling there to for us to f forgive my voice <laughs> basically forgive my singing voice and and know that it's all with the story as the main intention it works perfectly actually yeah and i know you mean because she's so unmistakable you know that point you know, you know. <laughs> it's when it's when you're like ah, there yeah. she is thank goodness yeah and it's absolutely brilliant all yeah. the mannerisms and the movements as thank well you, how long yeah. that must have taken a long time to that master. took a second yeah that took mm. a second that was you know again similar to the dialect stuff it was literally a little bit by a little bit every single day, practicing wherever I went. 
I worked with Polly Bennett, who's an amazing movement coach and also my friend. Um, and we was working in a little dance studio in Hackney for like the summer of, of 2020. And then she actually came out with me uh, to Boston to to shoot. And, and so we were working on those performances for eight months before. The great thing was that actually we were working on Whitney's movement, not performances. So for about six months, we were just moving like Whitney. So then by the time the performances came around, we had the space to either choreograph or for me to improvise. And so we were doing, we were juggling between the two and, and I had enough of a kind of Rolodex of Whitney movement knowledge that, you know, at that point, I probably couldn't now, but at that point it was like throw on a song and I could do a Whitney performance without a choreography. And that's kind of where you want to be as a performer is like real freedom because you've been practicing so much, basically. Yeah, kind of, it sounds incredibly immersive. Oh my God, it's Whitney camp. I just was like, <laughs> I was literally in Whitney camp for like, for about a year. A lot of hard work, but as I say, also maybe quite fun, hopefully. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think it was, you know, it was a balance between the fun and the joy of learning about someone and learning a new skill, because this definitely like was not my skill set to play somebody who was real. But also, you know, it was a lot of pressure and it was a lot of kind of, as we started getting closer, <laughs> I was like, oh, five weeks ago, oh, gosh, oh my gosh, like, how am I going to, you know, do it? But big lessons learned and um, like, so happy that I went on this journey. Is there anything else in the story that really resonated with you and you think it was an important part to tell? I think like the idea of like, I think, and that's I think with biopics in general, it's always a similar theme when it comes to this, which is the idea of fame and the fact that it's not um, this perfect safety blanket. And I think really when we think about fame, I think at the core of it, it comes to this idea of security and safety that it's a promise that you will forever be protected by, with, with money and with access. Learning about Whitney and, and so many others, the celebrities who have, who have kind of been taken over by it, not voluntarily, but just by timing. It was a big warning sign for me, because like, if you are at all, like, you know, if you are dealing with mental health issues or physical health issues, Addiction is a, is a disease, like the, these aren't things to be played with and if you are not grounded um, and have the right people around you, it can eat you up and, and that's something that has left me thinking after, after making this film, for sure. You talked to me a bit about your co-stars because it's a yeah. fantastic cast. It's such a good cast, uh, Stanley Tucci, Tamara Tooney, Nafisa Williams who plays Robin Crawford, Tamara Tooney plays Sissy Houston and Stanley Tucci plays, plays the amazing Clive Davis. Um, Clark Peters plays John Houston, and that was amazing. They they are incredible. I like Ashton Sanders plays Bobby Brown. I couldn't believe my luck. These are people I've admired for like a really long time. Um, I can't. I can't, it was quite a pinch me moment, especially because I I was like, you guys like, 
I've, I've been watching you since I was a kid, like especially like Stanley Tucci and Clark Peters and like, oh my gosh, like they're just here and they're like giving me advice and they're just like being so normal about it. It was so, it was so lovely watching Stanley and Clark hang out on the days we were filming together. Like just these two amazing actors just like having a normal conversation about their life and experiences. Um, and it just made the job a lot easier, you know. Well, wasn't Clive a, a producer on this as well? Is yes. that right? Yeah. yeah. So and a lot of the, is a lot of what we see on screen, like his kind of stories and what his experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially between their dynamic, you know, it was it was such a special one, and it, it like all relationships, but it morphed and and over time, you know, from business partner to something more family based, you know, and that in itself is like quite a special thing to watch. Clive himself, you know, he was he was integral to me learning about Whitney, but also learning about their dynamic because it is there was a feeling when I talking to him that I felt like the younger version of Whitney. Maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah, there was yeah. this, and obviously yeah. I, I wasn't, but there was this kind of talking to someone who's been in the business before, looking to them for help. There was similar themes there that me and Stanley play out within the first scene. So, so there was something as well of just reading the dynamic between me and, and, and Clive that I wanted to um, put into the film if possible. Well, congratulations again. It Thank really you. is fantastic and I really loved, Thank you so loved seeing much. you in it. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for going to Girls on Film. My thanks to Naomi Aki. My second guest is Vanya Kuljeshjesh, the director of the international film festival Rotterdam, which takes place later this month and which will include a live podcast recording from Girls on Film. Vanya came on to talk to me about the festival, which is in person for the first time since COVID. Vanya, welcome to Girls on Film. Hi, hi. Thank you for having me. It's lovely, lovely to have you on the podcast. Um, as you know, we're big fans of the festival. We've been several times. Excited to come back this year. But first of all, tell the listeners a bit about yourself and your involvement with the festival. Uh, my name is Vanya, Vanya Kaljesic, and I'm the festival director now for the third year. But uh, for the first time, actually, that uh, we are going to be having a full in-person physical festival because the last two editions were heavily marked by Corona. It must feel wonderful to be doing it in person fully again. What can people expect this year? Well, as uh, as you know, Rotterdam is one of the biggest uh, cultural events, not only in, in the city of Rotterdam, but in the Netherlands and one of the biggest film festivals there are. Which means, of course, that in terms of what we are bringing, we are bringing a lot. We are bringing over 430 titles, uh, shorts and features, over 200 world premieres. So there is a lot to discover. And next to it, of course, we have a number of activities and programs that are um, tangential to, to, to our main film program. A lot of industry activities that uh, bring thousands, actually, people uh, to the city as well. And, uh, and a big uh, part that is uh, dedicated to cinema or cinema-related art that is not necessarily happening on the film screen, but uh, moves out of the screening venue, which also ha is taking quite a shape and size. So um, there is a lot to see. And for those who do not know Rotterdam, of course, it is a festival that exists for now 52 years. Its first and foremost sort of um, driving uh, idea is to be a launching pad for filmmakers who need that exposure and who will, in a certain way, take off from IFFR. 
But more than anything, it's a festival that beats in its own path, so to speak. So when it started in the first place, the idea was really to show something to the citizens of Rotterdam uh, that normally does not come to regular, you know, repertoire in cinemas and uh, to, to really be a ground for discovery, not only for new talents, but really for films and cinemas and nations, so to speak, that normally never get uh, such a spotlight and exposure. And that is something that we really are continuing and even expanded it and diversifying it as much as we can. It's wonderful to see you championing new voices. Are there any from past years that you can give as an example that you felt, you know, really helped to introduce quite um, a kind of cult hit maybe to the world? I mean, there are many, of course, especially for the Tiger competition. I saw that, not Satan's out, but Film um, Comment, the US uh, oh, magazine, yes. that uh, now recently did a list of top 10 films that were not distributed in the US, but should have been. The first film, the number one title, is from actually IFFR, from last year's competition in Tigers. It's called The Plains by uh, David Eastall, an Australian filmmaker. I mean, I don't even know whether my mum remembers whether I'm there. I can say I've been there and she'll go, oh, okay. I mean, it sounds cruel, doesn't it? But you remember, when you speak to her on the phone, she knows it's you. Yeah, and when I'm there, she knows it's me. But she doesn't remember when she last spoke to me or she doesn't remember when I was last there. In general, I mean, there are many, of course, so a singling out could take quite some time. But when I think about how even in the last two editions, which were not on, uh, online and not physical, still the exposure of the films were quite significant. And this was also the reason why we have decided to do the festival, even if we cannot do it physically, is to give give the platform to the filmmakers, to the audience, and also to the industry to see what are the talents that we still con continuously want to champion. And those films uh, from the last two editions did marvelously well uh, in terms of uh, making rounds in, uh, in other film festivals, you know, uh, finding uh, distribution, getting exposure on other platforms, you know, dedicated to art house cinema, especially niche uh, cinema, so to speak, and so on. So uh, in that regard, um, I think uh, the support that IFFR uh, can provide to the filmmakers, in that it's quite big. Well, you mentioned diversity briefly. What's your policy on inclusion and diversity within the programme? Well, uh, it's a major element of the new festival structure and uh, our programming choices, because we want to reflect the uh, multicultural, you know, uh, side of, uh, of Rotterdam as a city as well. So uh, we want to have as many people in the city, you know, when they look at the festival program or what it offers to recognize themselves in it and uh, and feel invited by the festival. So this is really a major part of all of our discussions. And, uh, and also to come back to the initial idea that got the festival started in the first place, to really look where others do not look and show how rich it can be and fulfilling and exciting as well. Which also means, of course, that a lot of discussions that we have at the festival uh, look into those spheres. And uh, so when the whole selection committee, of course, meets together, sometimes those discussions uh, can take quite a while and can go very deep. But the bottom line is that we really want to, you know, look at those, uh, expanding those spheres, really, of not only discovery, but uh, diversity as such, you know. And uh, just an example that I can give is uh, Indonesia is a country for us that is highly important because of the history with uh, with the Netherlands as well and a big community uh, big Indonesian community that is here not only in Rotterdam but in Hague and other cities of course uh, in the country when selecting films uh, from Indonesia we are not only going to look but that goes for really all the countries we are looking at everything in a very broad way and then sort of seeing how things going to come together but uh, we are going to pick up, uh, you know, a documentary that is uh, called Mayday, 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 that is uh, really at the same time, you know, a call for, you know, revolution. On the other hand, so poetically and beautifully done that it's really 
uh, enchanting. And then thirdly, it speaks really about the longest lasting uh, worker strike in um, in the Freeport uh, mine in Indonesia that now, you know, it's considered to be the longest worker strike in, uh, in 21st century. Next to that, we're going to bring, you know, an old friend uh, of uh, of the festival, uh, an Indonesian filmmaker, Gary Nugro, with his uh, very interesting, uh, Im- you know, imagining of uh, art horror, so to speak. And then uh, so bringing some interesting genre to, the, to it as well. The next, uh, we, we one of the films that we are really um, blew, blew our minds this year was... Um, was again an Indonesian blockbuster that it's a superhero movie uh, made by a female filmmaker, Upi Aviato. And uh, Sri Asi is the name of the film where, uh, I mean, it's really done by the tropes of a superhero movies and can put Marvel to shame as well. And it's uh, about the female MMA fighter who sort of fights off internally, so to speak, you know, uh, something that is brewing, some kind of superpower, what she cannot really understand what it is and so on. And it's, it's really a fantastic discovery. And I can't wait, you know, to show it to our audiences here that uh, will finally see something that normally for Indonesia Indonesia would never come this way. Populasi manusia di bumi ini sudah semakin banyak. Apakah itu adil? Kita harus berbagi dengan orang-orang miskin. Given that Indonesia was so much in the news re- lately, you know, especially about um, banning premarital sexual intercourse and so on, and you know, something that you can see how you know the oppression, you know, on a governmental level with the use of uh, you know mecha- uh, mechanisms of religion and so on, can be as oppressive that for us uh, almost unimaginable. Uh, there is a film, for instance, that we have in the program also for Indonesia. It's called. Um, like and share also by a female filmmaker that uh, that really speaks about you know your regular you know twenty uh, something so young people who you know produce content for uh, social media and uh, also it's a journey of sexual discovery of traumas and uh, of everything that this society brings but at the same time when you know where it comes from you're thinking this is quite uh, courageous and uh, to go with such films and to make them and. Uh, and really, we were we were really blown away. And this is, in a way, a mission that we want to have. So when you look at one territory that is not necessarily so represented in film festivals worldwide, that we also see how expanded we can get there and how broad of an image we can uh, we can portray. I love that. And, you know, that's one of the reasons we enjoy working with you and coming to Rotterdam is, is that kind of commitment to shining a light on underrepresented work. I mean, I really enjoy the atmosphere as well at this festival. Can you tell me why you are keen to work with things like Girls on Film, although, of course... I say things like, we're a bit of a one-off, I like to think. It's because the engagement becomes ever more, you know, uh, palpable and present. And how many different, uh, you know, inputs and outputs you can have as a festival, it's what makes it rich and creates this cohesion. And that's that's what we are after, especially at uh, at events such as, uh, such as IFFR or a live festival to begin with, because uh, it's about, you know... Uh, it, Love for cinema, first and foremost. And when you come to Rotterdam, this is what you feel. You know, people are here because, you know, it's it's because you love cinema and you love film, you love communities that gather around it. So uh, it's really a festival that in that regard embraces you because it's at the same time brings a lot of names, you know, uh, discoveries to some big names at the same time. So there is so much to enjoy at the same time. But uh, it's informal at the same time. So it's one of those festivals that do not have sort of uh, VAP, you know, uh, red court areas, but everyone can speak to everybody. In the evening, you can meet during the day, you can meet everybody. So people just go there to enjoy films, to meet each 
other and to create conversations. And this is the thing we are creating or we are trying to make a common ground where so many different perspectives uh, are meeting and uh, and insights and knowledges and aesthetics and, uh, you know, opinions. And, uh, and in that regard, uh, you know, having someone like you that brings a unique or a different perspective that is not so present, not so common in a, in a discourse that should be much, much more, you know, popular, so to speak, is uh, of greatest importance to us. And, uh, and it's complementary exactly to the, you know, output that we are trying to give with our with a very diverse idea of what programming is and how it should be taught Hello Rotterdam! My name's Anna Smith, I'm with Girls on Film and I am so pleased to see you all here today. It's great to be back at the International Film Festival Rotterdam. Um, we came here last year, I think it was episode 5 and this will be our 26th episode. So thanks to all the listeners and the supporters who've been with us. Well, we're going to be talking to some amazing women on stage, so people need to, to keep an eye on our social media for announcements about that. But are there any other sort of female-centred and directed films in this year's programme that you haven't mentioned yet that you'd like to highlight? Oh, there are so many, but there is one. Uh, I mean, in, in our competition programmes, there are a few filmmakers that we really would like to... Uh, to celebrate, I mean, all over, of course, because especially, I mean, our competitions are there to sort of bring attention to something that, of course, can easily go off the radar. And uh, and in that regard, we are also trying to uh, push, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, what is, you know, cinema, what are the, what is the new talent of today? What kind of cinema uh, represents sort of, uh, it's a 16 title program. So uh, always, you know, you uh, you have to struggle a lot to say, okay, this is it. You know, these are the films that, again, are very different from each other, but in a very nice way, complementing themselves and creating some dialogue amongst themselves. But here, for instance, uh, Middle East was, uh, was quite impressive this year. Leila Kilani from Morocco. It's really a filmmaker who created some 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 unique. Uh, it's unique cinema. It's unique language. And when we say that that these are the voices that we want to champion is in a champion in our tiger competition, her film and her vision and her you know uh, filmmaking could not be more true to that. On the other hand, you know we have someone like uh, Cyril Rengu who is from Cameroon who uh, who speaks about the aftermath of the vi victims uh, of Boko Haram as well. And uh, her film is a really clear cut. Uh, very, uh, you know, documentary of such um, clarity that, uh, you know, you, you really get taken by it. So Serial uh, is a quite an interesting talent because uh, it doesn't happen very often that we have someone's feature film and short film in the program uh, at the same time as well, for instance. So uh, Yeah, that must be quite unusual, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. We get, we're going to make a list of these, so if anyone's listening in and wants to check it out, they'll, we'll put a list on our copy, our show notes. But also, of course, all this will be on your website. So how oh, yes. can listeners book screenings and find out more about the festival? IFFR.com is where you're going to find every information that I'm mentioning right now. I mean, I just mentioned two directors from Tiger Competition, but there are so many more to discover. So Bright Future, it's again a selection of uh, titles uh, that are only first features. So really a talent to, to, to pay attention to. And here you're going to discover a few Chinese filmmakers that, uh, again, are a bit off the radar this year uh, because, of course, of censorship and a lot of films not being able to travel abroad. And here, again, especially when it comes to female filmmakers, there, there are a few films from China that I really want to uh, invite you to discover. One of them is also in our uh, Tiger competition called uh, Gaga Land, which is really, you know, how to set the stage in a China, you know, in a country like a China, where you constantly feel an oppression, your own, you know, dancing ground, uh, and make your own gagaland, so to speak, and so on. So yes, please uh, come to uh, to come to Rotterdam. 
well, luckily it's easy to come to Rotterdam because uh, it's a, for traveling an easy hub. And uh, IFFR.com will uh, will provide you all this information. If you're a film professional, of course, uh, uh, there is a possibility to uh, find accreditation as well. Pretty much 99% of the program has been announced, including, of course, uh, art exhibitions as well. So, uh, you know, I would say you need 10 days, not less, 10 days to get there, you know, and to really absorb the richness of the program we are offering. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you there, meeting audience members, maybe some listeners. Uh, anything else you'd like to add, Vanya, before I let you go? I can't wait to celebrate all of this uh, finally after three years. So I could say uh, we've been waiting quite long. So now it's now is the time to get you all here to Rotterdam and uh, collectively enjoy this big celebration. Amazing. Congratulations. And I'll see you very soon. You're listening to Girls on Film. I'm Anna Smith and I was joined by Naomi Aki to talk about Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody and Vanya Kaljeshjesh on the International Film Festival Rotterdam. Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody is out now in cinemas worldwide. The International Film Festival Rotterdam 2023 runs from the 25th of January to the 5th of February 2023 in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. And Girls on Film will be recording a live episode with an audience on Friday, January the 27th. If you're coming to the festival, do join us. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, producer Lydia Scott, audio editor Emma Butt, intern Eleanor Hardy, and our principal partners Vanessa Smith and Peter Brewer. If you enjoy Girls on Film, please consider supporting us through Patreon. The details are in the show notes, but you can also help for free by subscribing and reviewing us on your pod platform. Thank you so much. We will be back soon. My dream, sing what I want to sing, be how I want to be. 